I'm Kim Chafee, and I write books for future old crazy runners. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. I'm Nicholas, the oldest of the old crazy runners, and I've got my cousin Fundy, the craziest of the crazy runners. And you're going to want to stick around for a conversation with Kim Chafee, author of Catherine Switzer's children's book about her Boston Marathon. But before we get to that, make sure that you take a moment to rate, review, and now subscribe to the podcast. You may have noticed there's been a change to the Old Crazy Runners podcast setup, and we want to make sure you're coming along for the ride. And since we're all old, let's kind of explain this. So you can subscribe to the podcast, just be a listener, um, but you can also support the podcast. Uh, we're going to make just maybe one interview a month uh, to be behind a paywall, $3.99, less than the price of a decent beer. If your beer is $4, you're not drinking a good enough beer. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. I, I would question whether you can even use the word beer if you bought something <laughs> for less than $4. It's probably a kombucha and you just think it's a beer because you, you're living in Berkeley or something. Yeah, exactly. And even kombucha is more than that. But Probably. Exactly. If you really enjoy the content and the people that we have on and all of these great conversations, it really helps to support the Old Crazy Runners podcast if you join and subscribe. Yes, this is a passion project for us, but we do spend you know a good $500, $700 a year just on software and online services and et cetera to get the podcast out to you. So every little bit helps. So just want to say thank you for everybody that wants to subscribe. And uh, another way to support us is to hop on over on Strava. Scientifically, we've proven that there are at least seven more crazy people in the world compared to last week. One of those new additions is an upcoming guest, Andrew Glaze. And for those of you that are already part of the podcast run club, you may have seen the insane number of miles he has put up on the leaderboard. Uh, that is something to keep an eye on. And again, we're going to be talking with Andrew down the road just a bit. Another good reason to subscribe. Yes. Yeah, so be sure to head on to Strava, search Old Crazy Runners podcast. And when you see all the old crazy people, you'll know you're in the right place. Um, and don't worry, after interviewing Andrew, if he's not a nice guy, we're just going to kick him out of the club because we can't stand for this 166 miles a week thing. Oh, man. It's, yeah, and he's going to be up at that level ongoing. We might just have to do, we, we might have to handicap him. Can we go into the club and say certain members get just an amount subtracted arbitrarily? Well, so I'm going to be down visiting Ken in uh, that area on, on uh, March 11th. Tenth, um, I could just swing by the firehouse and give him a swift kick in the knee and slow him down a little bit. I don't know if that's going to do it. I can try. Yeah, you can try. It's all about trying. Oh, man. Well, it's certainly inspirational. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to get 166 miles in a week. I've never even gotten that much in a month. I don't know about the rest of you out there, but that is a lot of time on the trails and kudos for what he does to get out there. So this weekend, we have a race on the calendar. Oh, man. Now, for you, for you, it's the second, but for me, this is uh, first medal of the year. First medal of the year. Medal. Also, I am proud to say I will have run at least a half marathon every single weekend this month. Oh, that's quite an accomplishment. I have not got to that. Not even close. Well, that's what bullshit marathon training will do for you. Oh, man. 
I don't know what it was. I, I'm hoping to have a solid race. I was looking at the number of entrants and thinking that we would probably have a pretty small field of plus 50s that we would be running against. And uh, that gave an opportunity maybe to, you know, get out there and finish in the top something other than. Yeah, well, I think they said top six gets some sort of award in each age group, which is a lot. Well, I'm pulling a Mike Funderburg right here because I woke up on Tuesday and my lower back has been killing me for days. Days. Oh, man. So I got to come out. I got to get uh, some special back work done by Ikuyo and get ready because uh, Sunday morning, I want you, me, and Chris uh, to be the top three in the 50 plus. I think we can do it. I'm in. Well, I guarantee you there's going to be some fucker out there running a 130. Yeah. Hopefully he's 57 and not 53. Hopefully he'll, <laughs> he'll have problems with directions because uh, <laughs> I'm going to come back to that. That trail, I don't know, I'm, I want to see what that route looks like. Uh, fortunately for us, oh, the weather looks like it's getting a little bit better. We were looking at potentially pretty good bit of rain for the race, but right now it's starting to clear up. I think it's going to be probably more like mid-upper 40s, and you know it'll be wet but not too bad. Be good race yeah, day. And I am going to have a chance to try out some new gear and report back. Yeah. Yeah. You got a, a fancy hat. So there is a company called Boco Gear, and uh, they do a lot of things now, but they really, their kind of number one product that they specialize in is tech trucker hats. So basically running hats that have like a sweatband in them, et cetera, but look like a trucker hat. Um, and I got the Eugene Marathon one, nice black trees on the front little Eugene Marathon logo on it uh, that I'm excited to use, see how that works out. Well, I think um, they had an opportunity here. If they put tech and trucker together, they would get trekker, which is just <laughs> perfect for the people that they're marketing that towards. Uh, I So good. I would lo- I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it turns out. I don't have a lot of faith in what that would do for the amount of and volume of sweat that I would produce. Um, I've never found a brimmed hat that can keep up so well speaking of uh problems with brimmed hats we were discussing um so we noticed that we have different sized heads oh my God. with your standard trucker a uh, snapback hat <laughs> i showed nicholas what uh, number of snaps i was on and he was just like what the fuck yeah that's that's crazy i i've i'd come up with somewhat of a correlation um you that okay? the <laughs> Farther out you are with the number of snaps on those old school hats uh, was yeah. uh, related to the number of neck rolls that you had, <laughs> right? I mean, you had to but have a, a couple, I've three neck rolls wrong. to get all the way out to the second or third or even that last last snap. But you have zero neck rolls <laughs> and you're on the third snap because you have an yeah. alien head. So, yeah. So, which is, it's always surprises people when I tell them how big my head is. And they're like, no, you don't have a big head because from the front, it's a pretty skinny head. Yeah. But if you remember back to the Sigourney Weaver Alien 3 poster, when that alien turns sideways, how long that head is, that's pretty much my head. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the cartoon my kids grew up on with the kid that had the football-shaped head. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're like the perpendicular version of that guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't find hats yet. So I'm on the third. I have three snaps snapped on my hat. I'm the one that has to fold over 
and have like yeah. one extra one hanging out. I, I'm like, you know, the kid that's trying to wear his dad's hat. Yeah. It doesn't quite work. Yeah, I'm the dad trying to wear his kid's hat. Well, you're going to put it through its <laughs> tests on Sunday, and I definitely want to look to see what that's going to come out like. Yeah, I'm excited. So I saw a couple links I want to do a uh, highlight. Um, one um, in particular was uh, exercise can help older adults retain memories. And uh, it's well, a pretty easy read. I won't go into a lot of the details, but I wanted to bring it up and we'll definitely link to it because, uh, again, more reasons f- for those of us that are getting up past 40, 50, the value of getting out there and continuing to move your body, what that means, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually, et cetera. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast and they're talking exactly about this and it was a, a neuroscientist and, and you know all the advertisements for like brain games and you're supposed to be yeah. like uh, to help your memory. They don't do anything. Zero. Zero help. They, they, they tell me all the time that they're doing something. Yeah, but they, 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 have, actually, they have zero effect on memory. Oh. And uh, keeping your brain healthy as you age. All of those brain games and, and whatever. Uh, probably like crossword puzzles are probably pretty good, but all those telephone games are dumb. Yeah. Uh, but uh, time and time again, exercise is the number one way to go because uh, a lot, most of the research on Alzheimer's, et cetera, show that it is a byproduct of inflammation. Oh, those uh, uh, brain... Losing your memory yeah. is a byproduct of inflammation around the brain and, and your body and everything. So exercise, stay healthy, eat your broccoli. All that stuff. Uh, and now scientific proof continuing to back that up. I, I like to do, so when I'm at the gym, I've done something new. When I'm resting okay. in between sets, okay, I have a uh, uh, um, number crossword game, Kakuro. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a offshoot of Sudoku sort of thing. I uh, have not. It's cool. Uh, I play cool. that in between sets. So while, oh, nice. while I'm resting physically... I get my brain engaged and go back and forth because, you know, it is important. We have that in our family, and I want to make sure that I stay ahead of that. Uh, The last link that I saw, which I thought was pretty damn funny, you ever, uh, do you you read The Onion? Uh, Well, no, because I just read the regular news now, and it's the same. It's the same. Again, I'll put a link into it because the article itself is funny, and it's very Onion-esque. But the title itself is exactly... Uh, what I ran into Tuesday morning when I woke up in my Mike Funderburg post. <laughs> so the title is bent over. Couldn't stand up. Just, uh, need a hurt for the rest of life. After 30 year old woman sits awkwardly for two minutes. <laughs> oh, so true. So, so true. And, uh, actually 30 is a little young for that to happen, but, um, I know that uh, everyone out there has ran through that at the worst of times for no particular reason. All of a sudden, something that shouldn't hurt does. And, uh, you know, that's just what we got to get through to keep getting out there. Alistair Walker posted a meme uh, in the uh, Facebook Runners Over 50 group, and it was something to the effect of, want to make running easier? Go cycling. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I saw that. (laughs) He posts that like once a year Uh, just as a reminder. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I am happy to make fun of uh, cycling as much as possible. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's a little well, dangerous. Well, not that there's anything wrong with it. I just want to make fun of it because it kind of riles them up. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. 
It's like shouting the wrong thing at a Trek convention. I mean, you just do it for fun. Yeah, exactly. When we were first introduced to Kim Chafee, I had no idea that she was a children's book author, and that's how she got connected to Catherine Switzer and then 261 Fearless. And such an awesome story about how you can come into running uh, from so many different angles. Kim definitely brought a lot to the table as far as having a background in athletics and sports, but running was always something that never really boiled up to the surface until she got exposed to Catherine Switzer and all that she's done, and more importantly, getting roped into having to run Boston very early into starting off as a runner. Oh, that's awesome. I love it when people get roped into stuff that they maybe don't want to do or maybe quite shouldn't be doing yet. Never thought they would, but there they are. Yeah, and uh, you're going to love some of her stories. She talks about one of her favorite runs uh, that had slogans like Hill Yeah or What the Hill or Highway to Hill. And then, of course, her uh, stories around the Boston Marathon. It's a great conversation. You're going to love it. Let's get to it. Hey, Kim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. So you were introduced to us uh, via Edith Zushman, who came to us via uh, Catherine Switzer, uh, which came to us via uh, Liz Vassy of the uh, Human Race podcast. So that is how we've come to know you. It's quite a, quite a journey. It's nice to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's, uh, so you're part of the 261 Fearless group. Just explain your role in there and then also um, how you became a runner. Sure, absolutely. So I actually just started recently with my 261 Fearless role, um, but I've known about 261 Fearless for a few years now. Um, when I started, when I first found out about Catherine Switzer and her story um, and started researching her, that's when I first discovered 261 Fearless. And then in 2019, I actually ran uh, as a charity member on their Boston Marathon team. And that was an amazing experience. Um, and so fast forward, I guess, to last November, and I got a message in my inbox from Edith. And she was saying, we really need someone to help us out at 261 Fearless, who can do these administrative kind of tasks and help us with the Boston charity team and take care of our inventory stuff. Do you know anybody? Here's the job description. Can you, can you try to reach out to whoever you think might be interested? And so I looked at the job description and, and I kind of thought, wow, <laughs> I could do this. This, this sounds absolutely <laughs> perfect for me. Um, and, you know, just a few short months earlier, I had taken a course where one of our uh, tasks was to write down some words that we felt were really um, important to us and really resonated deeply with us in words like collaboration and empowerment and motivation, inspiration, strength. Those kinds of words were words that I wrote down. And those are all words that, you know, really embody 261 Fearless too. So it, it kind of felt like kismet in a way and the world was coming together for this opportunity and so I emailed Edith back and I I just said so I may have found someone I'm not sure how you feel about this but what about me and um she was thrilled with the idea so we hopped on a zoom call because she's in Austria and I'm in New Hampshire it's quite a distance and we just chatted a bunch and it just felt so right from the start and it's been 
absolutely amazing. And we're onboarding all of our Boston Marathon runners now. And it's really exciting to be on this side of it. And, you know, making sure everyone feels welcome and like a family and ready for that big day when we finally get back to Boston in April, because it's been a while since that's happened. Um, so that's my journey with 261 Fearless. Well, I have one comment there. Um, yeah. I think Edith pulled the wool over your eyes. I think she <laughs> wanted you to apply, and she was just side, she's sliding in there. She's a yeah, she's yeah, a pretty smart I cookie. I think, think she just that. tricked you. Yeah, yeah. I think she just you know what? just pulled one over on you. You know what? No, knowing Edith, you're absolutely right. How did I not see that before? Now I think that is so that is so that true. Job description. I I just fell for, for it to a T. Yeah, <laughs> totally fell for it, sucker. So you Damn. are going to have the opportunity to not only have run the Boston Marathon and seen it from that side, but you're now going to see it from the administrative and the back end as as well. So you'll be there race day working with what will what are some of your responsibilities at the uh, race itself? So I'm not entirely sure what Edith has planned for me on race day, but I will be there all race weekend. Um, to be on hand to help our charity team members with whatever they might need. Um, my responsibilities at the moment are um, making sure everyone has their gear. I get all their stuff screened <laughs> and I get their swag bag together. I kind of have the fun stuff. Um, so that's kind of neat. I get to uh, make sure the runners can only have to focus on training. They don't have to worry about anything else. It's kind of um, administratively what I, I kind of take care of, but yeah, it's a little stressful on this side because there is a lot of, you know, we've got to fill the bibs with, with runners and it's hard this year, I think maybe more so than years past. And I don't really know, but it's a guess that with COVID and everything, um, you know, people might hesitate to want to register this year because they're not sure they're going to be able to fulfill that bib number. Um, and Boston's fundraising limits are, are higher than others. And that can be intimidating as well. I know that was intimidating for me when I ran. Um, but, you know, we help with that too. We, we try to give ideas and provide social media things for the runners to use to kind of help um, their donors understand what 261 Fearless does. So, yeah, it's, it's been really cool so far. Um, and you'd asked about my running, how I started running. It's a great question because it wasn't that long ago, actually. Um, it was only about five years ago. Um, I, I grew up as an athlete, so I, I'd always been involved in sports, and I loved being competitive. A little, maybe a little too competitive. Um, but I, I always picked the sports that did not involve much running. That was, you know, volleyball, tennis. Those courts were shorter than most courts. I wasn't running up and down the basketball court or the soccer fields um, because I really, I really didn't like running. It was hard for me. Um, I remember summers, every summer, getting ready for volleyball uh, because it was a fall sport where we are. And uh, one of the, the tasks that we had to do was to run a mile. And that was like the death of me. It was not something I wanted to be practicing. Um, but you know, I, I did that one mile, um, and I was able to make it happen, but, um, yeah, I just loved being part of a team and I loved, um, you know, 
those moments of high stress. I wanted to be the one on the court. I wanted to be the one to help the team succeed. And um, those moments were were really great. And being part of a team, there's nothing like it. Those are some of the best memories that I've had as a kid were on a court with, you know, other girls all working towards that same goal. Um, But, you know, then fast forward several years, um, I had two kids and was not really feeling much like an athlete anymore. Um, I think probably a lot of moms go through that. Um, I, I felt this almost vagueness of an identity where I, I didn't really know who I was if I wasn't connected to someone else. I was Lila and Colin's mom, or I was Ryan's wife. And uh, those were the things that I identified myself as because I didn't really have much else to identify myself with. Um, I'd even, you know, I'd left my, my job teaching as a second grade teacher, which I loved, but, you know, was home to raise my kids. Um, so I couldn't even call myself an educator anymore. And it really just kind of felt this loss. Um, and I think, I think a lot of moms kind of struggle with that at some point shortly after either their first child or their second or their third or whenever maybe they feel like they're done like having kids they're like okay now I'm done you know using my body for that purpose I need to kind of focus on myself a little bit here what can we do and I I finally reached that point where I was ready to do something I kind of I, I wanted to feel strong again I wanted to feel like an athlete again but joining a, an adult league of volleyball players or tennis players. I don't know. I Maybe it says like social anxiety that I have a little bit that that really wasn't um, comfortable for me. And my husband had started running about a year before. And so I thought, okay, all right, fine. This is something I guess I can do by myself. <laughs> I'll do it. And so I did everything. Yeah, exactly. Just slightly reluctant. No. Um, I, I did everything wrong. And um, namely, uh, shoes. I mean, that's like the most important thing, right? Is, is your shoes. And I was just like, Oh, well you wear Asics. Okay. I'll, I'll get Asics. That sounds fine. And then shin split. I'm like, why do my shins hurt so bad? Um, you know, finally learned that lesson and went and had, uh, a running, uh, professional look at how I ran and, uh, suggested shoes, which I think you would be happy there. Brooks adrenalines. Oh, thank um, God. Yeah, they we are. We both just got brand new pairs. Oh, okay, so the listeners can't see, but we both just got new shoes in oh, the well, mail because they had free shipping over Valentine's. Oh, look those at are beautiful. Oh, yeah. Look oh. look at the back. Mm. Oh, Look at yeah. the detail. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, so we, I love it. we all had a moment there. Yeah, we so did. With this, with this segue, I actually, yeah, I actually had a question uh, yeah. about, so I think, uh, for many reasons, it's much more pronounced for uh, for moms, especially moms that uh, choose to stay home with their kids. But I think that as we get older, I myself, I think Nicholas probably too, you know, when, when you get older, you become, uh, especially those of us with kids, you become dad and worker, right? So you're yeah. identified by your role as a, a father or a mother, and then your role as an employee or a worker, and you lose that sense of identity. And I think that for me, and it sounds like you, for you also, th- that running has kind of expanded that self-identity. 
Absolutely. For sure. I, it it makes me feel like I don't need someone else because running really is a, a solid a solitary kind of you know activity, right? Even if you do run with others, um, it's really you against yourself. And running is absolutely hundred percent mental for me. And it's if I didn't have running, I I feel like that everything else in my life. It's almost like that domino number one, right? So if I if I get my run in for the day, everything else in that day is going to be better because I got that run in. And I there aren't there are days that I don't want to run. That's I mean it's reality. There are days I wish I slept in my running clothes so I could just wake up and head out the door or hit the treadmill or whatever. Um, but I'm always always happier after I've had my run. If I, after I've gotten my run in, no matter what. I mean it's just science, right? I mean we just. I'm sure there's all chemicals and things that that play a role in that when you when you get running. Um, that's not my area of expertise, but whatever it is, it works. And um, it just it makes you feel like you can accomplish anything. And for sure, as a mom, when those days are long, when the especially when the kids are little, and it's just you and the kiddos, <laughs> those days are long. Um, but very long, very long. Um, but you know, there, and, and it's almost, I think too, well, I don't have, I don't have the energy. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And I completely get that for sure. But it's a, it's a strange thing how going for that run and putting in that energy and exhausting yourself in a way almost gives you more energy. It doesn't actually take away energy. Um, so yeah, running, running definitely gave me back that sense of being a whole person without being connected to anybody else with with having no no other connections to like you said a job or um another human on the planet (laughs) just myself well well and it's a good thing too because you can't count on your husband ryan to recommend good shoes so you got to be self-sufficient he's learned a lot too for sure and bless him he he would run with me because that was a problem for me when I started running. I even hated it when I first started running because I was doing it all by myself and because I was really embarrassed. I, I, I didn't like being a beginner at something. I was, when I was an athlete, I was good at it and I just wanted to be good at it immediately. But, you know, with running, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. You, you start where you start and I didn't want to run with anyone because I felt like I was slow and people would be waiting for me. But Ryan, my husband, was so he's like, let's go for a run together. I'll go with you. And he's six feet tall. I mean, his legs are so long. I'm 5'3". So I'm running and he's just trotting along next to me and he's cheering me on and being super supportive. But it was just really hard because I felt so slow knowing even though I knew he was you know, clearly a lot faster than me and just being kind. It just still made me feel, you know, like it kind of had the opposite effect. I'll be honest, even though he really wanted it to be positive. Um, but when I did finally kind of stop listening to that voice in my head that was saying, oh, you're slow, you know, no one wants to run with you. And I, I stepped out of my comfort zone and accepted a running invitation from a a mom friend that lived one neighborhood over 
that was everything that changed the game for me with running because then it became social. And now it was, hey, let's wake up at five o'clock in the morning and it's pitch dark out and let's go for a run and we'll just, you know, talk and share about our lives and what's happening. And it became such a different thing for me uh, when I when it became social. It was really cool. Well, highlighting the importance of community, you know, really is an important part of, uh, you know, what we talk about with running. It makes all the difference when you have to be accountable to somebody. Uh, and I want to come back to one of the points that you mentioned, that growing up playing um, team sports, which is Fundy and I's uh, background as well. And what I would add, I transitioned into two uh, beer league softball, basically, out of college. And the great thing about that is you can play that at you know, as long as you're willing to pay your fees, yeah. you can go out there and play a, a, a team sport. And it's one of the few sports where it doesn't really matter your age or your um, level of ability anymore. Uh, unlike volleyball, right? <laughs> like you say, there right. are, there's no adult league volleyball. Uh, so my recommendation to you, Fundy's going to back me up on this. Your next evolution for team sports. Yes. Bowling. <laughs> I'm bowling. in. You got to get into bowling. Uh, I'm in. It gives you that team and that. Yeah, it's happy it's, hour league bowling is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm it's, definitely it's, willing to give that a shot for sure. That's I think I, I could wrestle up a few friends too to be in on that. That sounds fun, actually. Well, so there are sports, for example, like golf, where you can be on the course in your cart and have a beer. But I believe bowling is the only sport you can take, uh, be taking part in and have people dr bring you alcohol. And, and why isn't there, but why aren't there more of, why isn't there more of that? I mean, just one, there's only one. I don't know. <laughs> I think it, I think that's the only one. I think we need to discover, we need to create a new one. They have the beer cart and golf. Well, yeah, but they don't, you can't just ring them up wherever you are on the course and they bring it to you at any time during a much the, different thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. this yeah. is, it, it's, it's yeah. beer on demand. Beer, yeah. <laughs> beer on demand. I mean, priorities here. We got to have priorities. Yeah. Golf actually Science. isn't for me. I can't. Cannot swing a club. Golf would not be for me. And the other athletic task that I cannot do is throw a Frisbee. That I just mm. never got the wrist flick. And now there's disc mm -hmm. golf, and that's yeah. a huge thing. Um, yeah, it's a skill. That I just won't be doing that anytime soon. So I, I have to know when to say no and just let somebody else take over. <laughs> well, it does uh, bring us back to um, how transitioning into running and being able to embrace that individual aspect, uh, is, is so important. And, uh, you know, you talked about it as far as it being a very mental, uh, time for you. And it's very similar for us. I, you know, I find it's, you know, half mile, mile in, all of a sudden I'm thinking about all sorts of different things. So, uh, I would kind of like to explore that a little bit for you. I mean, what, what, is it about being out there? What are some of the things that you find yourself getting lost in when, when you're on a good run? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it just depends on the day and what's happening in life. Sometimes um, it might be something happening at home with one of the kids and trying to work out something that happened in the morning before they went to school or something that maybe they're struggling with. Um, Sometimes it might be in my writing um, as, an, as a children's author. It might be 
I'm having some sort of block that happens often. Um, and, <laughs> and running just kind of clears my head and it quiets my mind a bit. And so new ideas can kind of form and I can work out a story problem in my head, um, which can be a little challenging because I, I don't have anything to write anything down with. And so I have to remember it and that can be hard for me. But, um, yeah. you know, often, as we get older, it gets right, harder and harder. It, uh, I turned 40 <laughs> last year and I'm really, I was uh, never one pup. to think that, oh, 40, you know, everything changes. But I'm really feeling like I'm forgetting things a lot more at the moment. But, um, yeah, but a lot of times for me, the running and the mental aspect is really just focusing on me and how I'm feeling and how I can better myself. I think I've been working on that a lot. I think maybe COVID has something to do with that, being home a lot and kind of um, looking being a little bit more introspective um, and just really working on feeling worthy as I am and not that I have to wait to accomplish something in order to do it. So I think, and I think running helps me with that because it's not about, if running is a great metaphor for lots of things, right? It's not about the finish line. It's about the journey to the finish line. And I think that's the perfect metaphor for life, right? I mean, it's not about what you accomplish. It's about what you learn along the way and how you grow along the way. And I think a lot of times on runs, you know, I just, if I'm by myself, can just focus on being in the moment and not thinking too far ahead in the future or worrying about the future, worrying about what comes next, just being in that time focusing on myself and just enjoying it knowing I'm doing something good for me because if I do that for me and I fill my bucket then I can fill others bucket when I'm done and I feel like I'm I have enough energy and positive mindset to do that yeah so one thing you said kind of clicked in my mind when you're out for a run. For me, it's like the, the run quiets the noise and then it creates space for thoughts to come in, right? Because when the mind's mm -hmm. so noisy, there's just no space for anything. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and even if you have music or, you know, if it's cold here in New Hampshire these days, so um, yeah. doing a lot of running on the, on the treadmill, um, you know, so with with some Peloton instructors, but even when you have, you know, someone talking to you, motivating you or music in your ears, it's still, it's, I don't want to say it's magic, but it is magic, right? I mean, it's just, it's kind of inexplicable how just moving your body one foot in front of the other, just kind of getting into that rhythm where you're not really thinking about it, you're just doing it. And then that just transfers to life, right? Because you know you can accomplish these hard things. You can you can attack that hill, hit that treadmill up to eight eight percent incline, and just get at it. Um, and and just like little little accomplishments in your run help you feel more empowered 
in other things, right? When you do something, when you're done with your run. So are you one to uh, break your run down into various little <laughs> sections? Count People do you that? Know, how many half miles? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Very much so. And they usually start off with like, you know, first half, second half, right? Half the run. And then that half seems really far away. So then it's quarters. And depending on what the run is like, it might even get broken down again. It all just kind of depends. Um, yeah, whatever little mind trick you got you to gotta play, um, you, you got to do that. And, and I think I, say, I tell my kids that too. It's like they, they have a, a theater rehearsal they don't want to go to. I'm like, it's okay. Just get through the first half and then second half will fly by. And that's how it works. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely have to play little tricks like that on your mind to distract yourself. So uh, also, I wanted to give you uh, a little bit of uh, uh, parenting uh, advice is the wrong word, but uh, my kids are in their 20s and I still have to think about them when I'm on my run mm -hmm. and their problems. <laughs> I know. Well, my, my daughter's So you just now. got a few years. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh. You, you, you probably have to run 20 miles a day. See, that's all I needed to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it, it's, it, <laughs> you think, oh, I can't wait till they get older. It'll be so much easier. No, no, no. Um, it's just, it's different. It's wonderful. It's just different. Um, but yes, running helps me a lot to process things. <laughs> um, with both of them, my son's uh, 10 too. So he has lots of energy. Uh, running mm -hmm. is a great activity for him to get some of that out. Yeah. So with that, do you have, uh, what sort of races do you have on your calendar? Do you continue to run pretty consistently? What are the distances that you prefer? So I'll be completely honest that I have no races on my calendar at the moment. Um, and I haven't for a little while, um, partly because of COVID. I did some virtual races over COVID and then I did some in-person races over COVID that were altered a bit to keep things safe. It just never felt the same to me. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, after I ran Boston in 2019, I kind of took a lengthy break from running. I, I felt very burnt out from, from running the marathon. It was my first marathon and my only marathon. Um, I think, you know, tackling Boston as your first marathon might not have been the smartest but whatever it worked it was fine I crossed the finish line and I'm proud of that um but yeah I definitely felt exhausted I think part of that had to do also with uh book promotion that was happening at the same time as the marathon um I because I I wrote a book about Catherine Switzer and her historic moment in 1967 at the Boston Marathon and so that book came out right at the beginning of April in 2019. So I was doing a lot of book promotion um, and simultaneously training for the marathon and then ran the marathon and then more book promotion after. And I, I felt like I was going to collapse. So I, I took a little bit of a lengthy break um, and I haven't really gotten back to running distance so much. Um, I have a really nasty IT band on my left leg and it gives me some knee problems. So I kind of am preferring the shorter distances these days. Um, I ran a few halves 
but the half marathon just doesn't, I just don't agree with it. It just doesn't like my knee very much. <laughs> wait, what? I wait, like... wait, wait. Oh, okay. I thought you had some like moral problems with the distance no, or something. No, it's just my knee has a problem with it. It's like it knows it's running oh, okay. 13 miles that day for some reason. And at mile 11, it decides it's not going to work anymore. So, okay. um, you know, I think the, the shorter distances for me, uh, 5Ks, 10Ks, 10 milers, um, probably more comfortable for me at this point. Um, I mean, you know, training for a marathon is, it takes a lot of time. It's, it's a lot of dedication. So, um, definitely, definitely the shorter races, but I'm really, I'm looking forward to getting back to races being like they used to be. They're starting to around here. And I mean, it's winter now, but, um, hopefully come spring, it'll be, it'll be back to normal with our rolling starts and, you know, where you can run with people because that's how I love to run. I just love to run, you know, side by side with someone instead of paced out where they're starting. And then five seconds later, I start. And then five seconds later, someone else starts. It doesn't really feel the same. It's hard. It's, I mean, it's, they're doing the best they can, you know? Yeah. Last week, I ran a half marathon in Huntington Beach, California, and, you know, it's 72 degrees out. Yeah. ton of people. Everybody's running together. It was fantastic. Yes. See? It was so much fun. 72 yeah. degrees. And I passed a lot lovely. of young people. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Fantastic. Screw those young people. <laughs> I got to uh, actually kind of tip my hat a little bit because going from our current temperature, which, you know, we're probably not your cold, but we've been in the mid 30s to mid 40s for the last few weeks. Okay. To then running 30 degrees warmer. Yeah, that's that's tough. a recipe for just kicking my ass. Yeah. Uh, I well, would not have had a strong second half in that moment. I would have been <laughs> sweating profusely. Yeah. Well, uh, it was actually pretty good because it was on the beach. So um, when when we went out and lined up, it was actually like 40 degrees. So it oh, was wow. the start okay. was was cold. Okay. Um, and then it warmed up, and I think it was it was probably still sub sixty by the time I finished. So it was a seventy okay. degree day, but, but uh, so but it, but I was I was sweating like a mother at the end though. Oh, it was sure. it was hot. I could feel the sun, uh, yeah. but it wasn't like I was running in seventy degree weather. That would have killed me. I would have died. But the sun still takes a lot out of you, and you know, fueling and making sure that you're hydrating correctly can always be a challenge. That was a challenge too for me with the with the longer distances was the fueling because I liked the goo packets, you know the, but yeah, the squeezy ones. Yeah, it just never seemed enough. By the end, I don't know, it was too much. It was too much goo. I needed something else. Yeah. So I think I think fueling was my challenge with the longer distances. Nicholas and I'll send a recipe for crazy balls. Ooh. Yeah. Sounds yeah, interesting. It- the um they're better than they sound consistency and the <laughs> should sugar. i be afraid <laughs> oh no. no no balls are way better than goo okay yeah of course so uh basically course uh what do they got oh oatmeal nut butter raisins or dried fruit some cinnamon oh, a little bit of honey good. what am i missing nicholas yeah. Did I, uh, it's more solid if that's mm-hmm. your issue yeah. over time yeah with you, like mine i just yeah. I'm just like, uh, uh, and not nearly as sweet. Okay. Also, 
that's good to uh, know. I find with the goose is a little little hard. And a lot easier to manage at mile 15 or 16 instead of trying to tear off a packet. Then you right? get all over your finger. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do with it? You're going to stick this sticky, half-eaten packet back in your pocket? Right. Yes. You're not supposed to right? throw them at the young people? Because that's what I did. <laughs> you threw it at the young people? As, as you ran by them? Here, can you hold yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been genius. <laughs> Slap them on the back. Good job. <laughs> See, it's those things we think about after the fact. That we should yeah, have done it. It's moment. all about planning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's go back in time when you were first running. Uh, what were some of your first races that you did and any uh, triumphs or failures with those? <laughs> so the very first race I ever ran was a 5K. It actually, actually, I, I had organized it. Um, I years ago started raising money for the American Cancer Society Relay for Life. Um, my brother-in-law had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer at the age of 30, and I felt pretty helpless. Um, and I had a friend who encouraged me to start a team for the Relay for Life. And so we did that at the school that I was teaching at at the time. And then that kind of morphed into creating um, an event of our own that we called the Fight to Finish Cancer Family 5K. And it was a fun run. Um, and it raised money for the uh, families in town that had been afflicted by cancer. So the cancer patient th themselves or their families, um, just helping them get through the tough time. And so the it was either the second or third year that we started it. I can't remember. Um, I I decided, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and just try this. I'm gonna I'm gonna try a 5K and. Uh, see what happens. And I did it and I didn't die. So that's a that's good news. And um, that gave me confidence to to keep going. And I think the next one after that was a, a 10K in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, and then I, I had a few other races in between there, just, you know, small, small races, a lot of 5Ks, definitely a lot of 5Ks. And then uh, I tried a, a 10 miler, which was a reach for me at that time. And it was, it's a 10 miler in New Hampshire put on by a running company called Millennium Running. They do amazing races, um, all around the state and it's called the New Hampshire 10 miler. And it's around this beautiful lake, uh, Lake Massabesic in Manchester, both Manchester and Auburn. It's one giant loop, um, around. And um, just to give you an idea of what the course was like, the shirts for the event say things over the course, over different years, have said um, hill yeah, and uh, what the <laughs> hill, <laughs> highway to hill, those kinds of things. Um, so the elevation change is quite frequent and substantial throughout the whole course. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't love hills. I'm not sure I know someone who does love hills, but that one sticks out in my mind because I ran that one with a friend. We decided we were going to support each other through the hills <laughs> um, all the way. And it was one that I finished and I didn't feel defeated. Like I, I think it might have been the first race that I finished and I felt 
like a like a runner. And I know that sounds wrong to say because if you run, you're a runner, right? And I know that now, but it, I didn't really feel that at the time. But when I crossed that finish line from that 10 miler, knowing the course that I just finished and I didn't feel like I needed to lay down and not move my legs for three days, I just, it was a moment that stuck with me and made me realize, okay, I can do this and and I'm strong enough to to really push myself here. So yeah, that that would be definitely a race. I haven't done it again since. Uh those hills stick with you for sure. And not only the ups. There was one moment, yeah. I think it was about mile 6, maybe between 6 and 7 where I mean, you'd been going up hills for a while, and then it, it was like an immediate drop. I, I, I felt like I was going to fall and tumble forward down this <laughs> hill. Um, so it, that was pretty intense, too. But, yeah, it was a great race. It was definitely a great race. Here's a, a small world moment. Our episode number four of our podcast was with John Mortimer, founder of Millennium Running. John Mortimer. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to that one. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. So from then, uh, from the 10 mile, then you started doing some halves. And then how did you get roped into doing Boston? <laughs> I like how you worded that. <laughs> um, well, I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I was kind of one of those people like, oh, yeah, I've never, never could do a marathon. I don't know how people do that. Gosh, that's so far. You know, having done a few halves, um, just thinking I have to do that all again, like right after I did it once. Um, it seemed pretty impossible. But um, I, I started writing this book about Catherine Switzer and this amazing moment that she had. And, and then everything that she's done since that moment. It wasn't really just that moment that stuck with me it was what she's done for women's running since then and i felt like i really couldn't use the excuse that i was afraid or i didn't believe in myself anymore um and i actually when i sent catherine a copy of the book i had written her a note and i had said that i said you've kind of made it impossible for me to tell myself I can't do this. And so I'm going to train for Boston in 2019. And um, she was so wonderful about it and about the book. And, you know, training for Boston, knowing I was doing it for 261 Fearless, knowing Catherine was going to be there, it kind of, I mean, how can that not motivate you, right? How can that not keep you going when, you know, you're out on your 15 mile run by yourself and you're at mile 12 and you're like oh goodness because at that point I remember that 15 mile run very very well it was that was hard that was a hard day for me that was a day I came home and and I'm in New Hampshire so it's very cold when we're training for the Boston Marathon here and so I have my my water vest my Nathan water vest that I have on but but the tube that's coming is frozen. So I can't get any water. And I, it was a really, really hard day. And I 
I remember really questioning my decision at that point, thinking <laughs> 15 miles was really hard. And, and, and that, that's not even close to being 26.2. So that was a tough moment. I mean, you know, I think, but I assume all runners have those, right? We all have good days and bad days. And it's, it's about, you know, just feeling through your bad days and knowing that there's a good day right around the corner. So you got this bad day out of the way and there's a good day coming soon. So, um, you know, yeah, training for Boston was, was pretty tough because it's hard if you're the only one in, in your friend group that's training for a marathon. They're, they were great. They would come out for certain portions of it and that was really, really helpful. But, um, you know, everyone's busy moms and schedules, lots of sports on the weekends. So, yeah, there was a lot of miles. Slackers. Solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you made a, a great comment. You have your good days. You have your bad days. So uh, without getting into the detail, uh, that we'll use that as a follow-up, was the race itself a good day? I mean, what did – I mean – how how did Boston treat you? Because typically the training, I rarely have a great training day. <laughs> but yeah. I measure it by, did I have a great race because of that? Yeah. So I'm just curious if uh, all that investment, how that paid off at Boston itself. So races are hard, right? Because it's this one moment in time and you can only prepare so much. But then there's the things that you don't expect to happen, right? Like um, your daughter getting sick in bed with you the night before the race and you're up in the middle of the night and then you're sleeping on the floor and not really sleeping. Mm. Um, so, you know, that, that happened and that was unexpected. Um, and then I think, you know, having it been my first marathon jitters for sure, um, were definitely present, uh, for, start line and the beginning of the race, which I think made it hard for me. Again, we're going back to the fuel. Um, I did not fuel as well as I should have before I started. Um, but overall, it was an amazing experience. Um, I had like the, my running friends I've been talking about this whole time. They all came down. They had a giant head of me that they had made and they stuck it on a pole. I had no idea this was coming. Oh gosh, I can't even remember what mile it was. Maybe nine. And, and I'm just, you know, going along down and all of a sudden I see my giant head on a huge stick in the air. And it just, it's, it's those little moments that um, were really funny. They had like face paddles made with my face on it that they, I mean, it was, they were ridiculously hilarious um, and amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, but the race itself, I mean, there's, what can you say? It's historic for a reason. Um, the crowd was absolutely amazing. The other runners were absolutely amazing. Everyone is so supportive and cheering each other on. And, um, for me again, knee issues. Um, so probably around mile 22, uh, maybe earlier than that. Um, 
my knee started bothering me, but I knew I really just had to finish. That was my goal to, from the start. I didn't have a time. I, when I run, it's, it's, I'm not racing a race. I'm just, I'm running the race to finish the race, to have done the distance. Um, you know, my 26.2 miles might be slower than someone else's 26.2 miles, but they're the same 26.2 miles. And so for me, you know, we're all getting the same medal, you know, unless we're Meb or, you know, um, <laughs> so, um, but, and it was actually amazing. The, there was a moment when I was walking towards, you know, the end of the course and there were a couple of other women who were running for other charities who also were struggling, um, with different aches. One was an ankle. Um, I think the other one was just feeling really dehydrated and, um, we all, kind of just stayed with each other from that point on just to make sure we all finished. And that was an amazing moment. That was for me, it was 261 Fearless embodied in, in this moment in the Boston Marathon, which is women supporting other women, you know, cheering them on, telling them, you know, we, we can do this. You can do this. We can do this. We can do it together. Um, so yeah, that was really, that was, it was really a special day. It wasn't pain-free or, uh, it didn't go exactly as I hoped it would, but it was, it was pretty magical. I know I was getting messages from my friends and my husband while we were, while I was running along the course and, you know, saying, Catherine's talking about your book on TV. And I'm just thinking in the back of my head, oh my goodness, I really have to finish this race because. <laughs> what kind of how is that an ending to a story Be like oh yeah I started but I gave up and I couldn't finish um so really I just knew I had to get across that finish line and so happy that I did so what was the uh, final time that you crossed the finish line in? so it was after six hours so they didn't really give me a final official time um yep. but we'll just say it was post <laughs> post six nice. hours yeah. yep so how far did you make it before you had to start walking because of the pain? Yeah, I think so. I want to say, I want to say mild, I want to say 21-ish. I, I don't really mm -hmm. exactly remember. I, I had been walking a little bit before then, but really like at that point, and I knew that was still a long way to go, but um, that was really the point where I was like, okay, I, I just need to finish and... I didn't, I was worried that if I pushed too hard, then I wouldn't be able to finish. Like I, I wouldn't be able to, I was going to yeah. hurt myself and then I'd have to pull off on a tent and, you know, they would tell me I couldn't go back. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was really just focused on getting to the finish line. That's where my family was. They were waiting for me there. And so that just kind of helped push me along. Yeah, I think that's one of the, biggest challenges of the first marathon or the first of any really significant length, however you want to define that, is you don't know what your push limits are. You, you want to finish having given your all, but you don't want to give too much too soon so that you can't finish. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're dealing with, um, you know, basically an injury, but at a minimum, some significant pain and, you know, knowing you still have that, that end goal. Uh, and it can be challenging trying to see that clock start ticking faster and faster as you, <laughs> as you slow down oh, yeah. as well. So, um, yeah. And knowing everyone's just, waiting for you, like, 
Let's go, Kim. Where are you? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, first of all, fantastic that you finished. I think the hardest thing of a marathon isn't the person like a Meb who can do it in two hours and whatnot, uh, but the person like yourself who has to be out there for an extended period of time and stay focused. That's way more challenging. Uh, and were you able to give yourself, did you have a little kick at the end or were you still just pushing that same finishing pace? Oh, I ran over the finish line for sure. That, that definitely right. needed to happen. And actually, um, so like I had said, my, my daughter was sick and so she ended up going home. Um, so sadly she wasn't there at the moment, but, um, my son was there with my husband and my husband, uh, lifted my son over the the gates and and we got to cross the finish line together so we we held hands and and ran down Boylston and it was it was a pretty magical moment yeah yeah nice and uh scientifically um you're three times stronger stronger than Meb because you ran three times as long right? as he did so Seriously. I mean that's what the science says right that's there what man. The sci- it, you can't argue with science <laughs> Math, science <laughs> you can't old, old guy math right there that's how we we make everything in our favor <laughs> that's it's just that's how you put the numbers the in order graded champion <laughs> right exactly <laughs> exactly now you said you uh just turned 40 yes uh, i would point out that uh now that his kids are out and he's in his early 50s uh, fundy will be doing his first marathon this year wow so yeah. although uh, uh my second really- marathon training Oh, yeah, that's right. He got himself. I pulled he a, hernia a hernia weeks hernia. before the first one. So a week, a week, a before? few weeks. I had, oh, okay. I had done my 19 mile training run and then, uh, and then got the hernia. So oh, if, gosh. if man, I know it'd be nice if I would have got it like after the 10 miler training. Yeah. Run. But to be so, so far, <laughs> I know. So close. Yeah, so, that's okay. So that's I'm not gonna, scared you of know the what? training this time around. That's yeah. going to make crossing the finish line in this marathon that much more magical right that's it's gonna feel yeah. so gratifying even more so i hope so and going back to the you know not pushing yourself too hard in the huntington beach half last week um there after i finished uh, a woman got wheeled by in a wheelchair and by the looks of her looked to be a uh, much more serious faster runner than myself Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously she pushed herself a little bit too hard and ended up in the wheelchair being wheeled off to the uh, the ambulance. So definitely yikes. want to avoid that. Yeah, yikes, yikes. Hope she's okay. Yeah, you just never know, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be a matter of, I had a friend also running um, Boston the year I ran it and um, her foot just caught something on the road and she twisted her ankle mm-hmm. and she just couldn't finish. And, yeah. you know, you just... You just don't. Yeah, what a horrible way to. You can only prepare so much. And then you have to just kind of go with what the day gives you. And sometimes it goes in your favor and then sometimes it doesn't, unfortunately. Kind of like life. (laughs) Again, running being the metaphor (laughs) for life. (laughs) Well, I'd like to uh, highlight uh, your friends and family for the uh, your head on a stick. Uh, way to cheer you on. We we found a list uh, a couple weeks back around the the ways to actually encourage somebody during a marathon, and that would have hit hit one of the main ways to do that to personalize it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, you mentioned it. I mean, that came at a point. It probably 
you know, gives you that little extra bit that you can now ride that wave for a while. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Absolutely. And I still have it. Actually, I got to keep it. It's in my basement. So every now and then I scare myself when I turn around and see my giant head there when I'm least expecting it. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. I mean, I think, you know, they had, they had planned, they were really well planned where it comes to spectating Boston. It wasn't um, one of the friends, it wasn't her first time she was spectating Boston. So she knew where to go and how to get there, which was excellent because they were two or three places along the way. And I really needed that. Like at one point, again, talking about fuel, and I don't think drinking Diet Coke along the course is a great idea, but I needed something. And that sip of Diet Coke, I think it was mile 18 or 19, was just what I needed to kind of get going a little bit. Um, yeah, Diet Coke's not really a great fuel source um, during runs, but you just got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah, yeah and I've heard... I'm I'm not a soda drinker at all, um, but I've heard from a lot of ultra runners that the sodas are magical. Really, along the way, they just okay, yeah. Well, may, a lot of ultra runners will do the the yeah will do uh, some sort of soda flat soda. They'll have their people mm -hmm. you know open it way early so it doesn't have any carbonation. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That just hit a sugar. They love it. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think somewhere later along the the course, when I was walking with the other women. Um, Someone also handed us a beer. So, you know, we were walking at that point. Yeah, that's, it was, it was fine. It was Science fine. has proven that time and time again. <laughs> time and time we again. celebrated a bit Not early. Beer. <laughs> Did you hear about the, uh, the beer mile? No. What's the beer mile? Oh, well, we'll highlight this real quickly. A gentleman set the record. He ran, you got to drink a beer before each lap, running four laps. And he set the beer mile record at 428. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Having yeah. to stop and it. drink a beer? Yep, at every lap. Yep. Each lap. So wow. he drank Still four ran. beers, ran a mile in four minutes, 28 seconds. That's Superman. I can't, I can't run that without having to stop to drink <laughs> a beer. That's I don't incredible. think I could drink four beers in no, that No, I don't think I could either. Yeah, he must have to shotgun those beers pretty fast. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. So there's proof. That's beer's energy right there. We, we all have our skill. Power. Yeah. Power that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to make sure that we uh, give some time to your books, um, and in particular the one that got it all started with your focus on Catherine Switzer. But you also mentioned you have another one coming out as well. So uh, as well as the book podcast. So I tell do. us a little bit about yeah. all of that. Yeah. So my my first book was. Catherine's story. Uh, it's called Her Fearless Run, Catherine Switzer's Historic Boston Marathon. And I started writing the book and well, like I heard Catherine talking um, in 2016 on Marathon Monday. She was, you know, being interviewed on the local channel and telling her story. And I had never heard of it before. I had never heard that story. Um, and having recently started running and being involved in all these races, it was crazy ridiculous to me that someone would say yeah you're not strong enough you're you're a girl you can't do that and 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 then I realized well no one's saying that to me because of Catherine because of what she did that one day and then what she's continued to do and I just thought she really like kids need to know about her adults need to know about her so um 
I started writing the book and luckily found um, a great publisher that thought agreed and, and thought she was definitely a worthy subject for a picture book biography. And, um, and luckily, Catherine loved it, too. I was so nervous to send it to Catherine. Oh, I bet. <laughs> so very nervous. And actually, um, later, Catherine confessed to me that she was so very nervous to actually read it because she was worried she was going to hate it. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Um, but thankfully, she loved it, too. And um, the art in the book, Ellen Rooney, the illustrator, really just brought Catherine's story to life. Um, the, you know, that's the beauty of picture books is it's not just the words, it's the art too. And Ellen is just amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with the, the way that one turned out. And then coming next year, um, early next year, I have another biography about, um, Abby Wambach, who was the U S uh, women's soccer player for so many years. She's retired now, but um, she reminds me a lot of Catherine, just being fearless and never giving up. And, you know, she, yes, she's accomplished so many amazing things. She has 184 goals, which is more goals than any other U.S. soccer player, male or female, has ever scored. But really, um, what struck me about Abby's story was that she kind of always got back in the game no matter what happened. And she never let anything get her down. And so that one's coming next year. It's called Courage in Her Cleats. So um, I'm really, I just got to see the art for that one as well. And Alexandra Badu is the illustrator. And it's just as magical as her fearless run. So that's really exciting. Really, really exciting. You'd ask me one more question and I can't remember what it was. Podcast. How oh, the do, podcast. What, how do, uh, what's the name of your podcast and yes. how do people find that? <laughs> of course, we're on a podcast and I forget that that's the question. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. So I... Because I am a picture book author, um, love the picture book writing process, illustrating process, publishing process. And, you know, every book is so different. Every book has its own journey. And uh, a writing friend of mine, Kirstie Call, we, during the pandemic, were both feeling very uh, overwhelmed, like many people. And it's hard to find creative space in your brain when you're feeling that way running can only help so much, I guess. And so we felt like, where's, where can we pivot here to try to continue in the children's literature space, but not feel so pressured to just be creating uh, new stories all the time. And so we came up with this idea for a podcast. It's called Picture Book Look. And we interview authors and illustrators and editors and art directors. Um, we've had um, publicity people and agents on. And it's all about uh, all the hands that touch a book from the beginnings of the idea until it's on the shelf. And it's really, it's, it's really wonderful to hear how different each book is and the impact of the story on not only the readers, but the creators, because as you're writing these stories, they change us as well as, you know, when we hope they, they change the life for um, the child or the adult reading them. And it's been really, it's been really great. So 
Um, we're in season two, and we've got some more interviews coming. Some We've just interviewed, actually, um, Mark Brown, who is the creator of the Arthur series. Um, that's been around for so long now and has, you know, uh, the cartoons and things. And um, okay. that was a really uh, special interview for me. But, uh, yeah, the podcast is going great. We're really excited about it. All right. So for everybody listening again, so Kim Chafee, I assume, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, local bookstore yes. uh, can get it. And then picture book look for the podcast. Yes. Yes. And uh, again, for anybody listening, 261fearless.org. That is Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. Yep. For more information about 261 Fearless and, and how to become part of that great organization. Yes, you got it. Absolutely. I was going to say, uh, you should have no fear about being on either side of the microphone. <laughs> uh, so the next time you get invited on somewhere, uh, please say yes. Okay. And, uh, it was a great conversation. Really enjoyed listening to your stories. Thank you so much. This was so fun. It was really wonderful. I appreciate your time. So I quickly identified with Kim because she planned to do two really hard things all at once with the Boston Marathon and publishing her first book. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> it's funny how races don't necessarily take your particular schedule in, in, in mind when they set themselves up. And, you know, you can't pass on something like the Boston when you get that opportunity. I mean, you... You just have to say yes, no matter where you were. Because one of the things we really didn't talk about was, did she even know far enough ahead to give a 16-week proper yeah. marathon training schedule? Who knows? I, I believe she did because she talked about training through uh, winter. But I was more referring to just the uh, stuff that a lot of people who are driven to do things do and just put too much on their plate all at the same time. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it, 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 but with that, you know, the easy way to put all that on your plate is, well, you can't say no to Boston. No, who would say so, no to Boston? So now you say, but it's not just like, oh, okay, so I'll show up and do it. Now that means 16 weeks of hard focused training. Otherwise, you will, you will actually potentially hurt yourself, but. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. You know, rub some that's dirt fine. on it. Run that last little bit. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Run across the finish line. So love talking to Kim. Uh, loved hearing about her podcast and her books and how that has segued into her running with her book on Catherine Switzer and the fact that she got tricked into working for 261 Fearless and not realizing it because <laughs> either this is smarter than think, all. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, one of the things that, that I took note of and I think that, uh, you know, really resonates with us here is, you know, she said that she was looking to be, you know, a good runner immediately, uh, but running running isn't like that but then it was after completing that 10 miler where she said she felt like a runner yeah and even though everybody around her would have said otherwise and just important for all of us to recognize that you know we do have those moments uh when we're just getting started and that moment when we decide we think of ourselves as a runner and you know it was really uh enjoyable to hear her journey uh from that progression Thanks for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate and review the podcast and always share it with your friends so they can join in with all of us for these great episodes. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners podcast, Strava Run Club, because that's where all us old crazies hang out. It's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, to keep putting in the miles. 
and keep being old crazy runners. <laughs>